Act One of Jane Shore, A Tragedy, by Nicholas Rowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae Lord Hastings, read by Tchaikovsky The Duke of Gloucester, read by Todd Balmore, read by Adrian Stevens Sir Richard Radcliffe, read by Wayne Cook. Sir William Catesby, read by Alan Mapstone. Dumont, read by Thomas Peter. Jane Shaw, read by Michelle Eaton. Alicia, read by Wendy Katz-Hiller. Jane's Servant, read by Larry Wilson. Alicia's Servant, read by B. Jones. Stage Directions read by Adrienne Provost Jane Shore, Act the First, Scene One, The Tower Enter the Duke of Gloucester, Sir Richard Radcliffe, and Catsby Thus far, success attends upon our counsels, and each event has answered to my wish. The Queen and all her upstart race are quelled. Dorset is banished, and her brother Rivers, ere this, lie shorter by the head at Pomfret. The nobles have, with joint concurrence, named me protector of the realm. My brother's children, young Edward and the little York, are lodged here, safe within the tower. How say you, sirs? Does not this business wear a lucky face? The sceptre and the golden wreath of royalty seem hung within my reach. Then take them to you, and wear them long and worthily. You are the last remaining male of princely York. For Edward's boys, the state it seems not of them, and therefore on your sovereignty and rule, the commonweal does her dependence make, and leans upon your highness's able hand. And yet to-morrow does the council meet to fix a day for Edward's coronation. Who can expound this riddle? That can I. Those lords are each one my approved good friends, of special trust and nearness to my bosom, and, howsoever busy they may seem, and diligent to bustle in the state, their zeal goes on no further than we lead, and at our bidding stays. Yet there is one, and he amongst the foremost in his power, of whom I wish your highness were assured. For me, perhaps it is my nature's fault, I own, I doubt, of his inclining much. I guess the man at whom your words would point, Hastings. The same. He bears me great good will. Tis true to you, as to the Lord Protector, and Gloucester's Duke, he bows with lowly service. But were he bid to cry, God save King Richard, then tell me in what terms he would reply. Believe me, I have proved the man and found him. I know he bears a most religious reverence to his dead master Edward's royal memory, and whither that may lead him is most plain. Yet more, one of that stubborn sort he is, 
who if they once grow fond of an opinion they call it honour honesty and faith and sooner part with life than let it go and yet this tough impracticable heart is governed by a dainty-fingered girl such flaws are found in the most worthy natures a laughing toying wheedling whimpering she shall make him amble on a gossip's message and take the distaff with a hand as patient as e'er did hercules the fair alicia of noble birth and exquisite of feature has held him long a vassal to her beauty i fear he fails in his allegiance there or my intelligence is false or else the dame has been too lavish of her feast and fed him till he loathes no more he comes Enter Lord Hastings. Health and happiness of many days attend upon your grace. My good Lord Chamberlain, we're much beholden to your gentle friendship. My Lord, I come an humble suitor to you. In right good time. Speak out your pleasure freely. I am to move your highness in behalf of Shore's unhappy wife. Say you, of Shore? Once a bright star that held her place on high, the first and fairest of our English dames, while royal Edward held the sovereign rule, now sunk in grief and pining with despair, her waning form no longer shall incite envy in woman or desire in man. She never sees the sun but through her tears, and wakes to sigh the live-long night away. Mary, these times are badly changed with her from Edward's day to these. Then all was jollity, feasting and mirth, light wantonness and laughter, piping and playing, minstrelsy and masking, till life fled from us like an idle dream, a show of mummery without a meaning. My brother, rest and pardon to his soul, is gone to his account. For this his minion, the revel rout, is done. But you were speaking concerning her. I have been told that you are frequent in your visitation to her. No further, my good lord, than friendly pity and tender-hearted charity allow. Go to. I did not mean to chide you for it. For, sooth to say, I hold it noble in you to cherish the distressed. On with your tale. Thus it is, gracious sir, that certain officers, using the warrant of your mighty name, with insolence unjust and lawless power, have seized upon the lands which late she held by grant from her great master Edward's bounty. Somewhat of this, but slightly have I heard. And though some counsellors of forward zeal, some of most ceremonious sanctity and bearded wisdom, often have provoked the hand of justice to fall heavy on her, yet still, in kind compassion of her weakness and tender memory of Edward's love, I have withheld the merciless stern law from doing outrage on her helpless beauty." Good heaven, who renders mercy back for mercy, with open-handed bounty shall repay you. This gentle deed shall fairly he set foremost to screen the wild escapes of lawless passion and the long train of frailties flesh is heir to. Thus far, the voice of pity pleaded only. Our further and more full extent of grace is given to your request. Let her attend, and to ourself deliver up her griefs, she shall be heard with patience, and each wrong at full redressed. But I have other news, which much import us both, 
for still my fortunes go hand in hand with yours. Our common foes, the Queen's relations, our new-fangled gentry, have fallen at their mighty crest. That for your privacy. Exeunt. Scene two, an apartment in Jane Shore's house. Enter Belmore and Dumont. How she has lived, you have heard my tale already. The rest your own attendants in her family, where I have found the means this day to place you, and nearer observation best will tell you. See with what sad and sober cheer she comes. Enter Jane Shore. Sure, or I read her visage much amiss, or grief besets her hard. Save you, fair lady, the blessings of the cheerful morn be on you, and greet your beauty with its opening sweets. My gentle neighbour, your good wishes still pursue my hapless fortunes. Ah, good Belmore, how few like thee inquire the wretched out, and court the offices of soft humanity. Like thee, reserve their raiment for the naked, reach out their bread to feed the crying orphan, or mix their pitying tears with those that weep. Thy praise deserves a better tongue than mine, to speak and bless thy name. Is this the gentleman, whose friendly service you commended to me? Madam, it is. Aside. A venerable aspect. Age sits with decent grace upon his visage, and worthily becomes his silver locks. He wears the marks of many years well spent, of virtue, truth well tried, and wise experience. A friend like this would suit my sorrows well. To Dumont. Fortune, I fear me, sir, has meant you ill. Who pays your merit with that scanty pittance, which my poor hand and humble roof can give, but to supply those golden vantages, which elsewhere you might find? Expect to me to just regard and value for your worth, the welcome of a friend, and the free partnership of all, that little good the world allows me. You overrate me much, and all my answer must be my future truth. Let that speak for me, and make up my deserving. Are you of England? No, gracious lady, Flanders claims my birth. At Antwerp has my constant biding been, where sometimes I have known more plenteous days than these which now my failing age affords. Alas, at Antwerp! Oh, forgive my tears! Weeping. They fall for my offences, and must fall, long, long ere they shall wash my stains away. You knew, perhaps, oh, grief, oh, shame, my husband. I knew him well, but stay this flood of anguish. The senseless grave fears not your pious sorrows. Three years and more are past since I was bid, with many of our common friends, to wait him to his last peaceful mansion. I attended, sprinkled his clay-cold course with holy drops, according to our church's reverend rite, and saw him laid in hallowed ground to rest. Oh, that my soul had known no joy but him, that I had lived within his guiltless arms, and dying slept in innocence beside him, but now his honest dust abhors the fellowship. Enter a servant. And scorns to mix with mine. The Lady Alicia attends your leisure. Say, I wish to see her. Exit, servant. Please, gentle sir, one moment to retire. I'll wait you on the instant and inform you of each unhappy circumstance in which your friendly aid and counsel much may stead me. Exeunt Belmore and Dumont. 
Enter Alicia. Still, my fair friend, still shall I find you thus? Still shall these sighs heave after one another, these trickling drops chase one another still? as if the posting messengers of grief could overtake the hours fled far away and make old time come back? No, my Alicia, heaven and his saints be witness to my thoughts. There is no hour of all my life o'erpast that I could wish should take its turn again. And yet, some of those days my friend has known, some of those years might pass for golden ones at least if womankind can judge of happiness. What could we wish, we who delight in empire, whose beauty is our sovereign good and gives us our reasons to rebel and power to reign? What could we more than to behold a monarch, lovely, renowned, a conqueror, and young, bound in our chains and sighing at our feet? Tis true. The royal Edward was a wonder, the goodly pride of all our English youth. He was the very joy of all that saw him, formed to delight, to love and to persuade. But what had I to do with kings and courts? My humble lot had cast me far beneath him, and that he was the first of all mankind, the bravest and most lovely was my curse. Sure, something more than fortune joined your loves. Nor could his greatness and his gracious form be elsewhere matched so well as to the sweetness and beauty of my friend. Name him no more. He was the bane and ruin of my peace. This anguish and these tears, these are the legacies his fatal love has left me. Thou wilt see me. Believe me, my Alicia. Thou wilt see me, ere yet a few short days pass o'er my head. Abandoned to the very utmost wretchedness. The hand of power has seized almost the whole of what was left for needy life's support. Shortly thou wilt behold me poor and kneeling before thy charitable door for bread. Joy of my life, my dearest shore, forbear to wound my heart with thy foreboding sorrows. Raise thy sad soul to better hopes than these, Lift up thy eyes, and let them shine once more, bright as the morning sun above the mist. Exert thy charms, seek out the stern protector, and soothe his savage temper with thy beauty. Spite of his deadly, unrelenting nature, he shall be moved to pity and redress thee. My former lass has long forgot to please. The scene of beauty and delight is changed. No roses bloom upon my fading cheek, nor laughing graces wanton in my eyes, but haggard grief, lean-looking, sallow, care, and pining discontent, a rueful train dwell on my brow, all hideous and forlorn. One only shadow of a hope is left me, the noble-minded Hastings, of his goodness, has kindly undertaken to be my advocate, and move my humble suit to angry Gloucester. Does Hastings undertake to plead your cause? But wherefore should he not? Hastings has eyes. The gentle lord has a right tender heart, melting and easy yielding to impression and catching the soft flame from each new beauty. But yours shall charm him long. Away, you flatterer. 
nor charge his generous meaning with a weakness which his great soul and virtue must disdain. Too much of love thy hapless friend has proved, too many giddy foolish hours are gone, and in fantastic measures danced away. May the remaining few know only friendship. So thou, my dearest, truest, best, Alicia, vouchsafe to lodge me in thy gentle heart. A partner there, I will give up mankind. Forget the transports of increasing passion, and all the pangs we feel for its decay. Live, live and reign forever in my bosom. Embracing. Safe and unrivaled there, possess thy own. And you, the brightest of the stars above, ye saints that once were women here below, be witness of the truth, the holy friendship, which here to this my other self I vow. If I not hold her nearer to my soul than every other joy the world can give, let poverty, deformity, and shame, distraction, and despair seize me on earth. Let not my faithless ghost have peace hereafter, nor taste the bliss of your celestial fellowship. Yes, thou art true, and only thou art true. Therefore, these jewels, once the lavish bounty of royal Edward's love, I trust to thee. Giving a casket. Receive this, all that I can call my own, and let it rest unknown and safe with thee. That, if the state's injustice should oppress me, strip me of all, and turn me out a wanderer, my wretchedness may find relief from thee and shelter from the storm. Why should I think that man will do for me what yet he never did for wretches like me? Mark by what partial justice we are judged. Such is the fate unhappy women find, and such the curse entailed upon our kind, that man, the lawless libertine, may rove, free and unquestioned through the wiles of love, while woman, sense and nature's easy fool, if poor, weak woman swerve from virtue's rule, if strongly charmed she lead the thorny way, and in the softer paths of pleasure stray, ruin ensues, reproach and endless shame, and one false step entirely damns her fame. In vain, with tears the loss she may deplore, in vain, look back on what she was before. She sets, like stars that fall, to rise no more. Exeunt. End of Act One.